Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good whatever time of day it is when you're listening to this. It's your boy, Prez, aka Presidente, aka at underscore Presidente, with a Z on Twitter. You can find me there, you can find me writing on the Strickland, you can find me on YouTube talking for the Strickland now sometimes, go look at my video on uh, pick and roll defense, and... I'm here for the 19th episode of Draft Strickland and the second episode in which we will be going through players that might be first round picks. Probably, I can't even say all the players we're going to talk about today will be first round picks, but there's very good arguments for all four of them and two of them are almost certainly going to be lottery picks. So um, to help me go through four more players... From the 2022 NBA draft class, I have a very special guest. His name is Will Morris. He's been on this pod before. If you don't follow him on Twitter, at W underscore A underscore Morris, I highly recommend you follow him. Will sometimes writes about the draft, sometimes creates spreadsheets about the draft, sometimes provides the people, the masses, the streets with great clips about the draft. And he, to me, selfishly, has been a very invaluable resource as I try to sort up from down in the last couple of years. Even if, I will say, some of his spreadsheets may have contributed to my obsession with Grant Riller, but maybe that's a conversation for another time. Will, how you doing? I'm doing well, Prez. Thank you so much for having me. And yeah, I'll take all the blame for... uh if you were too high on Grant Riller, because that is someone I was irrationally in on. But, you know, I I'll always love Grant Riller. Uh, yeah, I, as far as I'm concerned, he's still, he's biding his time, waiting in, I think, Philly or wherever their G, I don't, no, wait, their G League team is in Delaware. So he's, he's uh, biding his time in, in Delaware, I guess. I guess that's where he's at. Yeah, <laughs> I think he's had some injury stuff too. So hopefully he, comes back healthy and everything but yeah we're still we're still waiting on him <laughs> grant riller forever i'll never fully admit my mistakes um but we're not here to talk about grant riller we are here to talk about combo guards though and that is the subject of today's uh today's discussions guys who depending who you ask might be combos might be point guards all of them could get buckets but they're all very different players two who, who listeners probably know well two who listeners probably don't and uh, I'm talking about four guys, Jaden Ivey, 
um, Ty Ty Washington, Blake Wesley, and Alondis Williams. Um, we're going to get to them in that order. And the first one I want to talk about is the most popular one, Jaden Ivey. If you went on Nick's Twitter maybe three weeks ago, things weren't looking so great. Rose was out. Nobody on the Knicks was shooting well. They were just losing game after game, and some fans began to wonder, are are we destined for the top seven here? Could we jump into the top three? And, you know, even in these fever dream hypotheticals of us jumping into the top three, which never happens because we're Knicks fans, I I found online that Jaden Ivey, was the one who came up most as player that folks would love to see on the Knicks, even more than the other consensus number one guys like Paolo Banquero and Chet and uh, Jabari Smith. And my theory is because he's such a ball of energy and he's so demonstrative and decisive that like, the Knicks were in the doldrums and there was hesitations and poor decisions. And they just wanted somebody who would kind of take charge and impose his will. And looking at the Jaden Ivey highlights, it's, see, it's, it's easy to see why uh, he would appeal not just to Knicks fans, but, um, but to other, to other fans, to any fans really. But for folks who aren't as familiar with him, Will, do you think you could give like the one minute sales pitch for him? Yeah, so Ivy is, like you said, a combo guard playing for Purdue right now. Um, popped as a freshman, as a guy who basically was generating lots of rim pressure, although he struggled with efficiency, shot like less than 40% from the field as a freshman. Um, kind of a guy who, coming into the year, everyone knew was probably going to break out. Um, I think the question was, how much was he going to break out? Is it going to be, you know, this guy's going to be a top 20 pick. He's going to be a top 10 pick, but it seems like he's pretty much cemented himself as a top five prospect uh, in this year's class. So just raw numbers wise, putting up 16 a game, uh, shooting 50% from the field, 43.8% from three, which is pretty big considering he was at 25.8% last year. Um, up to his assist numbers a little bit. Um, I think, you know, like you said, the main appeal with him is just how exciting he is, how incredibly athletic he is. Um, vertically, in terms of burst, change of direction, all of that, he has it. Um, you can especially see it in transition. I think that's where he's at his best um, as a guy who's just kind of flying by everyone it kind of reminds me of Kyra Lewis Jr. a bit just with how fast he is like it almost looks like everyone is moving in slow motion when he has the ball um but unlike Kyra Lewis Ivy has um incredible vertical athleticism as well so right now he's averaging 1.6 dunks per 40 minutes and that's more than any guard prospect that I have tracked from uh, data in uh, the last, you know, 11, 12 years or so. Even John Morant? Yeah, even John Morant, even Damn. Victor Oladipo, um, even Anthony Edwards. Um, and, you know, like, 
just to put it in perspective, so like James Booknight and Anthony Edwards both had 1.01 and 1.02 dunks per 40. John Morant was at like 0.9, uh, sorry, 0.93. Zach Levine had 0.93. Ivy's at 1.6 right now. So it's, it's a lot of dunks. Ridiculous. It's, it's <laughs> a lot of dunks. And of course, you know, we'll see what that number looks like at the end of the season after he's had a whole schedule against uh, big 10 opponents. But, you know, I think in terms of the, the quick pitch for him, uh, it's just the production combined with how ridiculously athletic he is and how much pressure he's able to put on the rim. I'm glad you mentioned the sheer number of dunks and the pressure he puts on the rim because one of the things that I find fascinating about him and interesting when we're trying to project what he looks like in the NBA is like, you know, the guys you met, some of the guys you mentioned who got a lot of dunks like Book Knight and uh, not so much Oladipo, but Book Knight and Morant, like they were the offense in different ways. Like Book Knight did play a lot of off ball, but he was the main scoring option. Obviously, Morant was the main scoring option and passing option and everything option at uh, Murray State. <clears throat> Ivy, he gets his buckets. But Purdue's really good, and he's not like. Can, can you talk a little bit about his the role on his team? Because when I was first learning about him before I had actually watched him and I saw his highlights, uh, I thought his role was one thing, and then when I actually tuned into a game, I found out I was kind of mistaken. Yeah, for sure. I mean. I think that's one of the things that makes Ivy such a fascinating prospect is that he's basically been dubbed this, uh, you know, star guard prospect. And usually when that's the case, that player is someone who, like you said, is like commanding a lot of usage, getting a lot of ISO reps and pick and roll reps and things like that. Um, But that's not really the case with Ivy. Purdue has a lot of talent, um, particularly from their, like they run a lot of offense through their big men. Like Travion Williams is awesome as um, a guy who can run the offense from the post as a hub there. Um, Zach Eady has been dominant in the paint as well. So both of those guys are, you know, running a lot of the show offensively. Um, and it's interesting because to me, usually when a guy is hyped up as like a consensus top five pick from the guard spot, you expect them to be, you know, running a ridiculous amount of pick and rolls and things like that. But that's not really the case with Ivy. So just to put it more in perspective with numbers, like around 50% of his made field goals this year have been assisted. Um, And, you know, he does a lot of his damage uh, off the ball. He's a fantastic cutter. Um, Movement shooting wise, he has been really good. I mean, I think that's something that I didn't... (laughs) the end of the season but like there's plays where he's like sprinting off screens and he can like set his feet quickly and fire away um so i think a lot of the value that ivy has derived this season and i think you know he'll be able to do this in nba offense as well has actually come away from the ball so do you think you know you kind of alluded to it but like when you think top five pick you don't think off-ball threat, like, the last 
top five pick who I immediately thought like, oh, this person could be an off-ball threat. Just trying to think. I don't know. It might be like Brad Beal or something way back. I don't know. It's been a while. Um, there hasn't been that many star two guards in general in the NBA, like on-ball or off-ball lately, I feel like. I mean, you had Edwards and Green, but not as many as it was back in the day. So I think that's part of why people sometimes struggle to imagine how to like how to place Ivy, but do you think he can be bring that sort of trademark star potential of a top five pick as an off ball guard who can do damage? Like say, you know, say he doesn't become some pick and roll maestro and he's just not just, I say just with air quotes, like, <laughs> you know, movement shooting, tons of dunks, great cutting, you know, occasional half court penetra- penetration, lots of transition, like, is that is that a top five pick level outcome? I feel like it is. Yeah, I mean, I think if that's all he is, then I'd be like, I guess the question would be if that's all you think he is, like what would separate him from someone like Book Knight? Because to me, like Ivy has a little bit more on ball potential. There's definitely a lot of flaws, um, but... I think like I think it's a mix, right? Like you're not, there aren't like there are very few guys who are just like purely purely yeah. on-ball <laughs> players as guard guards. Like obviously he's going to get some creation reps in the half court. Um so I think for him to like return top 5 5 value in this class, um he's probably going to have to like reach a certain outcome as an on-ball player as well. Like, I think if he reach it, like, I think if he becomes an awesome off-ball player, but some of the on, like, some of the on-ball skills don't necessarily come along, then there's a, a pretty good chance that he doesn't return that kind of value. Although, you know, this is, like, a very strange class. Like, this is not right top-notch class. So maybe this year it is, but um, I think generally... Like if the team is expecting him to be like the savior of their franchise and he hits a low end on ball that um, outcome, but hits a high off ball um, outcome, they still like the team or the fan base that gets him might still be slightly disappointed. Yeah. Especially coming off a year with dudes like, you know, Giddy and Franz outside of the, outside of the top five, the flip side of that thing with Ivy, which is, um, the la- there's two more Ivy things I want to touch on. This is the first. The flip side of that, which is, you know, oh, he's he's used in this role that's largely off ball, and some people some people I- I've read see that as like, okay, this is how Purdue's maximizing him because this is what he's best at, and his finishing, despite his athleticism, is is good in the half court, but not great, and his handle's good but not great. Other people I've read say, you know. This is more of a untapped potential situation where he's being the good soldier and playing this role, but there's more in the toolkit than has been shown at Purdue. But Purdue is so good. This is just you know we we see we see it often with a lot of really good teams with with NBA prospects. Usually with Kentucky is the the main the main example, but it happens all the time with other schools too. Where it's like, you know, they get guys to buy in for the sake of simplifying and to accommodate upperclassmen who are also talented when you're talking about winning at the college level. So uh, which do you do you fall in one camp or the other with Ivy? 
I think I'm probably more on the side of um, like I don't necessarily think Purdue is like <laughs> doing him a disservice by playing him in this role. I think I'm more on the side of you know he has some on ball potential. There are moments like. A play I always think back to is from the Indiana State game. And I know it's against Indiana State, like low, lower level competition, but there's a play where he's like driving left and then he like cuts back super hard between the legs. And it's just like ridiculous change of direction. Like the handle looks tight and then he just goes right to the rim and scores. And like there's plays like that where you're like, wow, this this guy can be a fantastic on ball player. There's also times where um, you know, he's getting downhill in the half court and he's just making accurate um, drive and kick passes or like lay down passes. He's like had some good pick and roll passing moments as well. Um, but there's also like a lot of stuff that needs to get worked out. Um, I think like he he kind of, for the most part, only plays at one pace uh, in the half court, like there's times where he kind of just drives in a straight line without really thinking and it'll just get cut off and it just kills the possession um, and they have to reset and things like that. Um, And then there's some flaws as a pull-up shooter as well. Um, I know he's hit a fair number of pull-up threes this year, but most of the time when you're watching it, it's like, you know, he'll kind of have to make sure his feet are set. It's not like a super quick release. Maybe you have more to say about that. I know you're you're probably better at like the mechanics <laughs> stuff than I am. But well, that that was my next question. It was like, yeah. are you, how how much are we buying? Are we buying all the shares in his jumper? Are we buying some of them? I mean, he's clearly. I think everybody will agree he's improved from last year, but it's more a question of how much, not whether he's improved, right? Yeah, I think. Like I said earlier, like I, his progression as a movement shooter off the ball has been remarkable. I think you know he's a guy who's so fast and so good moving off the ball that um, I'm pretty confident he's going to derive some value, like running off screens and uh, getting his shot off quickly. But pulling up, I'm pretty skeptical right now. Um, I know I was talking about pull up threes earlier, but he he's a guy that doesn't really take any pull-up twos. Um, I think he's made five so far this season at, and like in terms of all long twos on Bartorvik in general, he's shot six of 30. That's 20%. So um, it's not very good. I think a lot of that has to do with just him kind of playing at one pace. Like there isn't a lot of, like he'll just kind of drive in a straight line and there isn't a lot of times where he'll um, like stop and pull up. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I have a hard time. Like, I'm not saying he, he can't get there. I think even someone like Bradley Beal didn't, and he's developed into an amazing mid range scorer. Didn't, uh, like he wasn't a volume mid range shooter or a volume, like high volume, high efficiency mid range scorer in college, at least. Like, I think he shot 31% on, uh, long twos. Um, but you know, I, I'm struggling to like be all the way in on him as a guy who's going to hit pull-ups, but I think the 
the movement stuff, the off ball stuff. I can see that a little bit more. I think I agree with you. I think where where I where I stand is more like I value the combo of like intensity and motor and defense and movement shooting and transition. And I think, like you said, in this draft in particular, I think he can return top value without necessarily being some dynamo. Um, because like you said, you know, even Evan Fournier and Quentin Grimes get some on ball reps. Right. So like, and those are guys who are mostly shooters, quote unquote. Um, I don't even know why I said quote unquote. They're both really fucking good shooters. <laughs> um, so yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I remember watching him in FIBA over the summer. I, I was not, I did not pay any attention to him um, as a freshman. I didn't watch any Purdue. And I, I remember distinctly watching him at FIBA. And I was like, oh, his jump shot looks pretty balanced. And I DM'd a couple of people and I was like, this is the guy who's like, the question mark is his jump shot, right? Like, this, this is him, Jaden Ivey, the one whose form I like, who's making all the shots in the international competition. And they were like, yeah, that's him. And I, I remember being like, okay, he's, yeah, he's going to shoot that thing next this year coming up. Like, I didn't think he was going to shoot it like this. And he certainly wasn't doing like coming off curls for threes for Team USA or anything like that. But, um, so yeah, I, I think at worst he'll be a solid shooter um, with decent variety, and it, it's all going to come down to like the handle and and being able to change gears, like you said, because that'll do. If he can improve his handle and his and just chill the fuck out a little bit, stop playing like he's on like ten Red Bulls, like he he'll be able to you know maybe hit some some pull ups and you know if you're going to shoot pull ups, like shoot the pull up threes at this point, and you know. I mean, you have to be able to... Sh- I don't know. We'll see. The other problem, I don't want to spend too much more time, but like, I don't know about his floater game yet. Yeah. So, uh, one big... This is this is a whole nother, like nerd conversation, maybe <laughs> for another pod, but like, can guys develop floaters is a kind of black box, black hole for me, and it's really hard to tell when... Like, with certain players, I'm like, did they not take floaters because they suck at it? Or did they not take floaters because that's that's the rule for their team? Like Mori Ball, no mid range, or like Deuce McBride, did you not take floaters because you just love regular mid range jumpers so much? You know, so it's kind of hard to sort through all of that with with the college sample. But um, yeah, there's definitely some questions for him. But I I think because this is such a different draft where it's basically three dudes and then kind of a flat landscape. Uh, I think we could probably be a little forgiving and just enjoy enjoy all the dunks. Um, and I'll for now we can close the book on Ivy and move to someone who's probably to to me personally the most interesting guy I have in like lottery discussions in my in my own board just because he's a fascinating prospect and I love me some Kentucky guards. So I'm talking about Ty Ty, uh, the combo guard at Kentucky. Um, I know you gave the Ivy sales pitch. I'll give, I'll give a sales pitch for Knicks fans. He's a lot, in some ways, like uh, Emmanuel. Quickly, um, he's he's a combo guard who is a very good shooter. Um, how good we can discuss, but he's definitely a really good shooter, and he's not really a threat to penetrate to the rim a ton. You know, far from Jaden Ivy or or Tyrese Maxey. Um, He's a mid-range savant, 
uh, a little bit less. He can shoot a good floater, but his regular mid-range pull-up is just, I don't know what, I haven't checked the latest numbers, but for like that, for recently, it was like above 50%, which is fucking crazy. It was like 15 for 22 at one point on like midi pull-ups on the season. Uh, he was in the news the other day for having a 17 and 17 game, which sounds made up, but is a thing that happened. And uh, he seems to be a good caretaker of the ball. Um, even though he doesn't actually play point guard for Kentucky, that uh, distinction belongs to uh, Severe Wheeler, uh, the Lilliputian-sized point guard, as Clyde would say. And um, similar to Quickly, you know, you know that that Quickly team, Quickly and Maxi were not the point guards, even though they're both playing point guard now in the NBA. Um, it was uh, what's his face? Do you remember that guy's name? Uh, uh, Hagen. Hagen. Yeah, it was yeah. Ashton Hagens, um, who was a little older than them. And, you know, he was great in college, so, like, I get it. But um, similarly to that, like, I don't know if Ty Ty's going to be a two-guard or a shoot or a point guard or if it even matters that much. But um, he's interesting. This class is weak in point guards, and as Knicks fans, we're obligated to search high and low for point guards since we haven't had a franchise point guard in the zillion years since Raymond Felton, basically, um, unless you want to count new and improved Derrick Rose. But, um, yeah, what do you, what do you make of Ty Ty? Do you think he's a, a point guard or shooting guard? Do you think, does the distinction matter for you? How are we yeah, feeling? I think to like, to me, the distinction doesn't really matter that much. I mean, I guess there is a question of, you know, how much on ball usage, is he going to be capable of handling in the NBA? Um, I've, you know, if you know me, like, you know, I'm always someone who values uh, rim pressure a lot. And um, there's definitely guys who, you know, have taken a lot of long unassisted twos and have very few unassisted rim makes and guys of that nature, many of them have tended to um, struggle as lead initiators from the perimeter uh, in the league. Obviously IQ is someone who has been an exception to that rule. And that was far too low on quickly. Um, So it's not like a hard set in stone thing, but I'm always still a little bit hesitant of people who, you know, are very reliant on long teams. <laughs> it, it, it just kind of indicates to me a bit of an inability to get to the rim. So, um, but like, again, like I missed on quickly for that same reason. And I'm not saying like, Oh, I'm going to be high on tie tie um, because I was low on too low on quickly. And they both played for Kentucky or whatever. But I think like when you watch Kentucky's offense, there's like, a reason why his unassisted twos, two numbers are so high and the unassisted rim numbers are so low. Just to give some numbers here, um, or I mean, this is a team that's 343rd in the country in three-point attempt rate. Um, like, they're not a team that takes a lot of threes. And what they d- – so like they're just not a very well spaced offense. Severe Wheeler is not a good shooter. They have Shibway, um, isn't a very good shooter. So the spacing on this team is just not very good. So there aren't really a lot of open driving lanes. Um, a 
typical Kentucky action is basically just running their guards off those little pin down uh, screens and kind of having them work off those. And like a lot of Ty Ty's offense has sort of just been derived on actions like that, where he's just running off little screen, taking two dribbles and pulling up. And it's like, if he were to drive to the rim, Oscar Shibway would be right there in the paint with his defender. So it's just like, he kind of has to take that shot. Um, I was looking at some data and I posted this on Twitter, but around 70% of Ty Ty's unassisted field goals this year have come from the, come in the mid range. Um, and I saw that number. I was like, Holy smokes. Like who, like, has there been anyone else uh, who's even in that territory? And there really hasn't been anyone that level. But what's interesting is that all the next highest guys played at Kentucky. So like <laughs> I said, uh, Ty Ty Washington, like 72% of his unassisted field goals came from mid range. Uh, next up is quickly with 62%. Devin Booker, 57%. Tyler Hero, 56%. Tyler US, 55%. So all those guys played at Kentucky. So there is some sort of like real thing with how Kentucky runs their offense that's preventing or encouraging guards from to get their uh, self-created field goals in this manner. Um, one thing I did want to ask you about was what do you think about the pull-up three? Because we've only seen him make one this year. He made his first the other night where he got a switch. He drew the big out, <laughs> hit a little step back. But like, do you think that there's a real possibility where he starts to hit off the dribble jumpers from range. We know he's amazing from mid range, but like how real of a possibility do you think that is? I think it's a real possibility to me. Pull up three point shooting is a function of comfortable going from dribbling to shooting. So if you, if you can shoot really well, but you can't dribble and your ball transfer isn't smooth and confident, then it's not going to work. It's, you know, we've, we've all seen like end of shot clock dudes who are mostly spot up shooters have to like dribble and toss some nonsense up. And it looks horrible compared to catch and shoot. And the fact that he's so good at pulling up in the mid range, uh, gives me confidence. Cause that means his, he's comfortable going from his handle to his shot in a crowd basically. And it's probably going to be less, less of a crowd on the three point line. Um, you know, his handle's not, He's not Darius Garland or Kyrie Irving or something like that, but I think his handle is solid. And like you said, I, I really think it's a function of Kentucky's uh, offense. I looked up how many pull-up threes, the percentage of offense. I looked up the pull-up shooting frequencies for a lot of the Kentucky guards. I should have wrote it down. Damn. Or maybe I did and I saved it somewhere, but I forgot. And some of them were actually surprisingly higher than I remember. Um, like I remember SGAs, I think was a little higher than I remember, but some of them were super low, like quickly took like not like hardly any pull up threes, which is ludicrous now. And over 30% of his shots are pull up threes in the NBA. And they're all like the most like level 99 difficulty pull up threes you can take pretty much unless your name is like Steph or Dame. So I, I think I'm with you and, and, in thinking that Coach Cal doesn't really encourage lots of pull-up threes from his guards. And if you just take kind of a step back and envision a normal Kentucky team, I know it's not the case with this team, but it's usually lots of like six foot nine, six foot ten, 
like long arm dudes, like bigs and power forwards and stuff. And then a couple of guards who can spark the offense. And, you know, given that those are the kind of guys he recruits, you could kind of see why he wants the guards to give him some room and prioritize uh, making the bigs comfortable or the bigger players comfortable. And sometimes he puts it on other players to do that. Like Devin Booker, most famously, didn't do like anything off the dribble. He had Tyrese Maxey coming off all types of curls for shooting. Like he was Rip Hamilton or something, which was, you know, this is not Tyrese Maxey's thing. He was a good soldier, but like not his thing. So I don't know. I, I love his jump shot mechanics and I don't know how good of a pull up shooter he is, but I'd put the money on it, man, on it being not nuclear or anything, but solid at the very least. So It'll be really interesting to see if he has a chance to do that. Um, what do you think of his passing and facilitating? Because that's the other part of the equation to me. You have to to be a pull up shooter. You have to demand. You have to demand attention, right? Like nobody's gonna care if like JJ Reddick goes off the dribble because he's not a threat to drive or or pass. Really, um, I mean, he's retired now, obviously. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, so like. Because all, all the pull-up shooting thing, like, it's important, but if he if he's not facilitating, then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, he's a shooting guard who doesn't drive. Even if he's a good shooter, he's still undersized on defense. So, like, what are we really doing here? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm not total. Like, I think the 17-assist game was a little bit out of the ordinary. Like I, I saw some people on Twitter saying like, Oh, Ty Ty's one of the best passers in this class now after like the 17 assist game. And I, I mean, you know, 17 assists in a game, that's not easy to do, but I'm not totally there yet. Um, like, I think he's a pretty sound decision maker. I think recently he hasn't been turning the ball over that much. I know I think earlier, early in the season, he had some higher turnover games, but you know, that, that 17 assist game and uh, recently like well, severe Wheeler has been out and he's been uh, leading the offense a little bit more. Like he's been pretty poised in pick and roll. He's been uh, good making that little skip uh, or not skip pass pocket pass to Shibwe. Um So, yeah, I mean, I, I think his passing has been solid from what I've seen, like nothing too flashy, but is just generally a, like a sound decision maker. That's kind of how how I view him too. The seventeen assist game, lots of guys were 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 rewarding him, which is great. That nobody's gonna get seventeen assists with lots of guys missing, so um, that definitely played a role. But like, yeah, he he's never like pulling passes out of his ass that are like amazing, and I have to rewind. But he he's got the he's got the basics down to me, and you know, especially when you start talking about bench point guards. That's really what you need if you if you're hanging your hat on something else like shooting like he is. So, um, you know, in terms of floors, I think he has a pretty good backup point guard floor because of that, because he can make the reads and the basic reads. And, you know, I I consider him a very good shooter. But I, I don't know. It's it's very rare for players to be to come into the league with like okay passing and then kind of just elevate to some level beyond that in terms of their passing. I I haven't really tried to think about it in depth 
and write down the names, but it can't be many guys. So I feel like what we have is kind of what we have, which isn't a bad thing. Like you said, I think he makes solid reads. So to me, the, the tie tie question all turns on, you know, what you were talking about before is, is really the pull up shooting. Cause he's probably not going to become a big rim pressure threat ever. And you're talking about him doing what quickly did doing what Darius Garland did and just becoming a fucking bomber who can shoot it on or off ball um, to become an impact starter. Again, I still think he has a solid floor, but that's kind of where I'm at in terms of the, uh, the tie tie offensive projection, which in this class, like you were alluding to for me, that's a lottery pick. Um, I don't, I haven't really even been thinking about like big boards or order too much, too much, but I, I'm comfortable guessing that he's going to end up higher-ish this year uh, for me, just because it's not that many guards. Yeah, I think I posted the board like a month ago, and I had him in the 20s, but since then I've definitely come around a lot on the pull-up three-ball. Like, I don't know. this. There isn't a lot in this class that has excited me. Um, and just the more I think about it, like, do I take a chance on someone like uh, Ben Mathurin developing into like a viable on-ball player where I haven't really seen much evidence of that, you know, mm-hmm. manifesting? Or do I take a chance on Tai Tai, who I think has a pretty clear avenue to start hitting pull-up threes? I, I feel like that, you know, I feel like the path to improvement for him is just clearer um than it is for a lot of these other guys so yeah i mean to me like i'd probably rank him in the lottery at this point um which is probably i mean i haven't like yeah on some of the boards i've seen on draft twitter like he's pretty low and you know in mainstream boards it seems like he's more consistently in the lottery so i don't know it's interesting i guess i'm more both of us are more in line with uh like the mainstream on on him yeah, he's been in the top 10 in some mainstream boards, which, uh-uh. again, I don't know where, I don't even know what my top 10 looks like, but all I know is I'm a fan of Tai Tai. All right, now we're going to get to the fun part of the podcast, which is uh, where you give me the answers to the homework, and <laughs> I get to learn about two players whom I have not watched much yet, and... Uh, I think I'm beginning from highlights and clips to understand the theory of them, but again, haven't really sat down and watched full games of them. Um, two big ass point guards. So uh, can we'll, we can start with uh, the freshman from Notre Dame, uh, Blake Wesley. Do you want to give folks the quick sales pitch on him? Yeah, so Blake Wesley, freshman from Notre Dame, averaging around 15 a game this season. Um, been a very high usage player for them. Um, been there, you know, carrying a 31% usage rate this season. So right away that pops out freshman in the ACC who's carrying the load offensively. Um, I think the quick pitch for him, I can sum up in this little stat query I have. I posted this on Twitter last year as kind of Bones Highland propaganda Um, but I think, you know, a similar thing applies to Blake Wesley, but, um, here's a list of freshmen and sophomores to take over 10 threes per hundred and have 40% of their unassisted field goals coming at the rim. 
Trey Young, Bones, Anthony Edwards, Jamal Murray, Kobe White, Donovan Mitchell, Aaron Harrison, Lonnie Walker, Devin Booker, and Jordan Poole. And if Blake Wesley decides to go into the draft this year, you can add Blake Wesley to that list. Um, So that combination of youth, rim pressure, and volume shooting is really appealing, even though I don't, even though he definitely has some flaws, like he's not a knockdown shooter at the moment and he isn't particularly efficient around the basket right now, although he's able to get there by himself a lot. Um, He's got pretty long arms, right? He does. His wingspan, I've seen it listed around like 6'11 in that kind of range. So I think there's some theoretical upside as a guy like, and he's big, as you mentioned uh, too, like, there's some theoretical upside as a finisher with him, with his length and his size. Um, but like right now, the the finishing results just haven't been there. Like he hasn't been great in contact. There isn't like too much craft. He's at fifty three point seven percent at the rim. Not great. Not great. Twenty four point six percent free throw rate. So that's definitely a little bit worrisome. Um, yeah, I think the other thing with him is, like, he's, I mean, I guess we can get it, we can maybe get into the jump shot, because I think that's probably something that's going to have to come around for him if he's going to, you know, return high value in this class. Um, he's at 33.8% right now, um, but he shot really well on pull-up mid-range jumpers. His he almost his mechanics and I'm again, I'm, you're a better mechanical guy. Than me. <laughs> it almost reminds me a little bit of cam Thomas, like he'll start it in his left uh, mm-hmm. pocket and then kind of bring it up. And there's times where like his legs will swing out to the left a little bit. But I mean, the results have been there from mid range. He's shooting 50% on long twos, which is really good. That's a crazy number. Yeah. I was, when I was looking at his, his uh, before, literally before I looked at any video, the first things I saw in this order was like, oh, free throws in the 60s. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. Then I saw three-point percentage, and I was like, 34, eh, not great. Then I saw two-point jumpers, 48%. And I was like, okay. So he's so he's ass at free throw, ass from three, dark from short, from mid-range somehow. And then I saw his threes per 100, which for folks who are not familiar with three-point, it's three-point attempts per 100 possessions is basically a good way to measure how comfortable a player is getting up three-point shots. Um, basically, if you're in the double digits, that means you will, you're willing to let that thing fly. And, uh, yeah, he's right up there. Uh, psh, the latest, yeah, he's at he's at 12. Holy crap. Yeah, so he's, yeah. he is... Clearly not shy. Like you said, he's carrying the offensive load uh, big time. Um, and that's a really good indicator because usually it sounds kind of stupid, but like poor shooters aren't willing to let that thing fly a lot. And often coaches won't let them let it fly a lot. So uh, I, I haven't taken a really close look at his mechanics, but I definitely can see the Cam Thomas thing yet. Um, I, I'm really excited to dig more into him because – there's some good indicators there statistically. And like you said, if he's, you're talking to someone six, five with a seven foot wingspan, even if they're a little shaky around the rim, like I'll bet on a big dude, a taller dude like that kind of figuring it out. 
for the most part around the rim. And if he can shoot it, I know now we're in the realm of multiple ifs, but uh, <laughs> you, you wonder, like, I have no idea. Well, first of all, here's the other thing with Blake, and I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, but, like, on Sam Vecini's board, he was 15. I don't know where he was on the latest ESPN mocks, but I feel like more than a lot of guys, he is all over the place on boards. So I feel like how he does, how Notre Dame does, like he has a lot of, he could, he could go end up easily a lottery consensus. He could end up second round. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I really don't know. And I mean, I, he's someone that I personally have struggled to figure out, like, where would I be comfortable selecting him? Just because there's, like, there's a lot of real concerns here with, you know, how good is the jump shot in reality? How good is the finishing going to be? Um, you haven't really talked about the passing either, but like, you know, there's times where he's like able to, you know, generate some rim pressure and make the correct read. But like, there's times where he's running pick and roll and he'll miss just like a wide open roll, man, you know? And it's just like stuff like that is really concerning to me, just missing those kinds of easy reads. But um, that was real quick. I want to touch on that because that was a question I had for you since I haven't really watched him. His assist percentage is like 18 or something. And for listeners who don't make a habit of looking up assist percentages, that's like what you get for like, a mediocre passing off-ball guard, I feel like. Like, Evan Fournier, I don't know what he's at this year on the Knicks, but it's probably, like, 15, 16, 17, 18, which is low for Evan Fournier in his career. Like, most point guards, especially if there's the man on a team, are probably going to be north of 25, maybe even north of 35 if they're a good passer. Maybe even north of 40 if they're a really, really good passer. Maybe north of 50 if they're <laughs> Sharif Cooper and John Wall. So... 18 is really low. So it is like, is he the, does he share facilitation duties or is he just kind of oblivious and not really thinking about passing much? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there's definitely like from what I've seen of Notre Dame, he's the guy who does like, he has the ball in his hands more than anyone really. I mean, there is a Prentice hub as well. Um, but like, I don't know, just to me, he misses a lot of those just basic reads that you'd want a guy who you're going to put the ball in his hands to make. And like, it's kind of like a classic concern with combo guards. But It's like, all right, this is a guy who like, who clearly has some decision making issues. So how much, um, like how much usage do you want to give him um, because of that? And it's like, well, he's going to derive most of his value offensively with the ball in his hands as a creator but um you know how is it like does he have the passing chops to actually you know command usage so i think that's you know it's a very real question for him for comparison for the listeners uh we talked earlier about the maxi quickly hagan's um guard trio that got minutes together often uh, a couple years back quickly had a assist percentage of 11 percent so completely utterly not the point guard not facilitating anything he was pretty much a shooting guard maxi was at 18 percent. he had uh, a little bit more chance to create coming off curls and stuff like that like i mentioned but again not the point guard so usually the guys who are in the teens like that are really not the point guard just because you have 
in the teens doesn't mean you can't play point guard. Like, Maxi's absolutely holding it down quickly, even though Tibbs doesn't want to start him at point guard, absolutely holds it down in the point guard sense, making the reads and all that stuff. Um, so it, it is very interesting with, with Wesley, and I, I don't know if there's any roster stuff that mitigates it for him like there is uh, those Kentucky dudes. So it'll be kind of interesting to see where that number is at by the end of the year because, I, I don't know, he's almost like a... He's almost more like, at that point, he becomes more of a true combo guard where it's like, okay, he's big enough. He could slide in next to a real point guard because he's 6'5 with long arms and likes to shoot, if, especially if he, the shot does you know, become more than theoretical. So uh, in, in that sense... I guess you could say he has multiple ways to being an NBA player. I just don't know which which one is likely. <laughs> yeah, I think to me he's probably just more combo-ish. Like I struggle to mm-hmm. see him developing the passing that much. And I mean that first um the way I started it off with like that little query, of course, there's guys like Trey Young and Yeah, exactly. You know, who've developed into awesome passers, but at the same time on that list is Jordan Poole, you know, just like a classic combo guard. So I think that's probably the more likely um, route for Wesley to develop into a quality NBA player. Yeah, and that's, you know, at his size, fortunately, you're not talking about a the, the usual case with combos, which is like, oh, they got to make a lot of their money on offense because they're going to be, you know, like Jordan Poole, they're going to be downsized on defense and all that stuff. So, uh you know, his, his size helps him out in that respect. So we'll, we'll see what happens with, with Mr. Wesley. The last guy I want to talk about is another 6'5 guard. <clears throat> Although I think it's safe to say he's probably more of a point guard than a combo. Um, Alondez William. I don't know. Do you know if it's Alondez? Alondez? I, I don't think know. I think it's Alondez. Alondez Williams, who is a. Uh, uh, he's at Wake Forest. This is his third year. He was at Oklahoma for two years. And he transferred. Um, he was on national TV yesterday versus Duke. I didn't watch the game. Yes, I haven't watched that game yet either, yeah. but I'm excited to. It was a yeah. big day for AJG. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a fun game for draft watchers because every Duke game is a fun game for draft watchers, but especially that one. So um, uh, Alanda's averages in college, in college, 21, 5, no, 21, 7, five, one, and then half a block. And he shoots 55% from the field, 63% on twos, 33% from three, 71 from the line. Uh, he doesn't take a ton of threes, six and a half per 100 possessions, um, which is not nothing, but it's not a ton. He's not a bomber. True shooting percentage, 62. Free throw rate, 40, which is really good. Um, so I know he's a little older, third year in college and all that. So that probably explains some of that, but like, uh, this guy's assist percentage is 32 and his turnover percentage is like 15. So he's, that sounds like a player who knows what he's doing out there. So like, what kind of guard prospect are we really talking about here? Yeah. He's, he's so interesting because like, I didn't. On basically nobody's radar coming into the year. Mm-hmm. He averaged six a game at Oklahoma for two years. Uh, and he would play Juco before going to Oklahoma. So he's, I think, like 
like I think he this is like kind of a fifth year of college for him technically. Like he was a list he's listed as a senior at Oklahoma last year. Um but he's tripled his scoring load and gone from a sub twenty usage guy to a thirty plus usage guy. So I mean right off the bat, like that's crazy. Just ridiculous. It's an incredible story. Um he's putting together one of the most impressive rim pressure seasons that I've ever seen. And you know me with my unassisted rim makes thing. He's averaging 4.3 unassisted rim makes per 40, which is that's a lot. Yeah. It's like John Morant territory. It's, isn't it? uh, it's tied with Alfred Payton for as, as much as anyone. We so. try not to speak that name around these parts. So if <laughs> you could give another apologies. point of reference, we would really appreciate it. Well, <laughs> okay. You know, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Um, but you know, we'll, we'll say that he's in, uh, Devon Dotson, De'Aaron Fox. There we go. Now I feel much better. Uh, my bad on that. Um, he's shooting 66.2% at the rim free throw rate, free free throw rate tank, uh, 40% free throw rate has 14 dunks. Yeah. I was going to say, cause like, I don't know what his dunks per game is, but He'd be throwing that thing down. Yeah. He's, uh, I actually haven't calculated it, but I, I will get back to you on that at one in a second here. But, um, I can't speak on the quantity of his dunks, but the quality from the clips I've seen, like he, he with the long arm, at any time a long armed guard can dunk and like cock that thing back, it always looks super cool. But, like, yeah, I've, I've mostly seen it on fast breaks, so I don't really know if he dunks in, in the half court, but, um, He's, he's he's a pretty good athlete. I'm taking. Yeah, I mean, he has he definitely has some half court dunks. It's mostly like him attacking a closeout or something where he has a clear runway. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, he's definitely a guy who's very bursty, capable of changing directions while driving. Um, I think his best trait as a slasher is his strength and physicality. Like he's a guy who, you know, and we can get into this later. Maybe it's because he's older than everyone else he's facing right now but he's 22 um, for folks listening so yeah but um and he'll be 23 by the time he plays his first nba game right so that's kind of a a big question here like how Mm -hmm. much does that play a role into the way he's been bullying players this this is the crazy thing for me and i'm sorry i'll stop interrupting you (laughs) no no worries he's, he's 22 he's gonna be 23 you should be better than everybody by a lot at that age but it still doesn't explain last year. He was also older than everybody for the most part last year, and he wasn't really anything special. And then something happened, and he joined a new team, and now he's the fucking older schoolyard bully just destroying people. I I, I don't I don't blame anybody for discounting him because of the age, but like something popped because he was older last year, and he was not nearly close to this. Yeah, I mean, it's... I there really isn't to me any way to explain it. I mean, Oklahoma just <laughs> must not really have been like using him to his fullest or something. I know they had uh, Reeves last year who was carrying a huge load for them, and he's off. His field goal percentage on two point jumpers is fifty four. I'm sorry, I just pulled up some numbers. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's what? ridiculous. Like he's putting together like one of the best inside the arc scoring seasons that I have ever seen really. Like 
I know I, we're, I'm going to bring it back to the first name we mentioned on this podcast, but like we're talking Riller territory in terms of just like how effective he's been inside the arc. Um, you know, like again, going to the back to the strength, like when he puts his shoulder down into someone, like they're going backwards. Um, he can finish through contacts with either hand. Um, I think like, the passing has been because when I first like saw the stat profile, I was like, "All right, well, this guy's getting to the rim a lot." Um, start watching him. I, I'm expecting most of the passing to just be like, "All right, he's getting to the rim. He's going to be like making those basic like drawing double teams, triple like teams." Like, <laughs> you know, there's like some really like he's his passing versatility is real. Like he's out there flinging no look passes with either hand, manipulating defenders with his eyes. Like I'm at the point with him where like, I genuinely think he's one of the best passers in this class. Um, Some of his passes are like, get out your seat. Like, like, wow, I have to like run that back. Yeah. Like he's, especially when he's like kind of at the top of the key and there's like, they have like cutters working off of them. He's so good at just finding those cutters for, and I mean, he definitely has some, some style to him too. Like these flashy passes, Um, you know, like I don't know, like the best passer in the class argument is like a tough one for me. Cause like, I just don't think this class has a lot of good passers, but um, like he's definitely up there with like Travion Williams and like I don't know if like you'd consider Teron Armstrong Jr. a prospect this year, Harrison Ingram, guys like that. Like he's in that upper yeah, for sure. of passers. Um I think the question like the big question with him that you kind of alluded to earlier was the shot. Um so he's at doesn't take a lot of threes. Um he's at thirty three point eight percent right now on sixty five attempts. I shouldn't say he doesn't take a lot of threes, like he take, he's comfortable shooting from range, but like, it's not like he's a volume shooter. Most of the damage he does is inside the arc. And, right. um, you know, the Oklahoma stuff is low volume just cause his role wasn't super big there. But, um, just looking at that, he was four of 24 from three last year, uh, and 17 of 60 from three the year before. Um, so that's like, a little bit worrisome him being this old and where he's at as a shooter. I think that's definitely a cause for some concern. Um, the like, there's definitely been some development from three, like, but what's even crazier is just his development from mid range. He's shooting 53.5% on long twos per Bartorvik. Uh, last year, that was 35.7%. And the year before it was 24%. And it's like both of those seasons, he had like 25 and 28 attempts. I think what I'm going to have to do is go and actually pull some film somehow, if I can find some from his other two years before Wake Forest and see if the shot actually changed or if, or so, or what, just cause like if, if I'm taking this production at face value, uh, he's probably going to be pretty high on my board. And there is apples to oranges and they're way different kinds of players, but like the Knicks drafted Quentin Grimes last year and Quentin, Quentin, it was different because he came in as a like big time prospect flamed out, changed to his role from a point guard to a shooter. But like he had two meh years 
transferred, had a spectacular year, and a lot of people, a lot of smart people I talked to weren't buying it. And I personally was buying it, but it was, again, a different situation because you're talking pretty much with Quentin. It was like, do you buy the jump shot, yes or no? And then that was it. And then with Alondis, you got to think about the the point guarding and all of that. But that seems pretty straightforward too. And obviously he's older and that makes it complicated. So you know, he's such a weird eval that I think I'm just going to toss my hat on. Uh, this is not a I was going to say toss my hat on his team, but that's nobody says that that's not a thing. Um, I'm going to pick his side and probably, I don't want to say he's going to be my, my grant Riller this year, but he's definitely, if he keeps this shit up, I mean, he just dropped 25 versus Duke. So like, He's clearly not afraid of, of doing this versus good competition. Um, I do, do you tentatively at least have him first round? Yeah, I think tentatively I have him first round right now. I think like there's some really interesting it's it's cool that we have a guy like Blake, Blake Wesley and Alondis Williams like together in the same podcast because like there's some really interesting conversations you could have about these two guys because like on one hand you've got Wesley who's this younger player um has incredible tools as a creator um a guy who's jacking up a lot of threes is capable of getting to the rim but at the same time there's a lot of warts on the other hand you have Williams who's significantly older he's going to be 23 as a rookie definitely has warts himself how good is the jump shot um you know the whole like I think the Oklahoma, like the whole fact that this is like the first year where he's really done anything at the college level can kind of be looked at as a little bit of a concern just because you it leaves it leaves you wondering like what happened, like why has it taken him however long to like get to where he is now? I'm not saying like it's like code red alarm, but like it's definitely something that you have to take note of. Um, but at the same time, like putting together just a ridiculous, ridiculous season. So like, what do you value more? Like the youth and the tools or just like the insane one year production for an older guy. But I I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. I'd say going back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, he's gonna, he's, he's got, if he keeps up like this, he's going to have to be like in everyone's top 30 or forties most likely. Yeah. At at this point he's, he's going to be, pretty high for me i'm gonna do a twitter poll now and then i'll do one again in a couple months and just i'm interested to see who people prefer of the two of them um but i'm not even gonna do it now because half the people still haven't heard of the two of them yet so let me give it a while and uh we can circle back to it as we get closer to the draft will i want to thank you for joining me for an hour uh to talk about these fun prospects um you're my go-to when it comes to all things rim pressure and just general guard conversations. Guards are my weakness. Every year I inevitably have too many guards in my lottery, and I suspect, judging by my reactions to Blake Wesley and Alondis Williams, that uh, that will not be stopping this year. So uh, thank you for coming along for the ride today. (laughs) (laughs) No, Prez, thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. All right, y'all, you know where to find him on Twitter at underscore W underscore A. Did I add an extra underscore in there? Shoot. Shoot, I don't know. (laughs) I uh, I missed one. Here we go. I messed it up. Ignore what I just said. At W underscore A underscore Morris. There you go. No underscore to start. That's where you find him. 
Y'all, thank you for joining us again for another episode of Draft Strickland. We'll see you in two weeks where we'll look at three or four more players with another guest. And until then, take care, be safe, and uh, watch some of these prospects because there's a lot of fun players this year. Peace. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.